Think we're good. There he is, my man. What's up, dude? What's going on? How's your day so far? Thank God. It's been like, you know, jumping from like thing to thing, just trying to make sure I'm making it to this thing. <laughs> you know, what about you? Yeah, it's been a pretty, pretty busy morning so far, but I'm happy we're going to take a little break and just have a good conversation. So um, I just started the live. I said I'm going live with my friend Erez. Um, but this is really, uh, I'm going to leave you in the driver's seat here because this is part of your series called Elevate Every Day. Nice. So, I just um, I just commented that. So if you want to pin it so people understand what is going on, and then we can jump in. You see the oh, comment okay, there? Cool. Yeah. Um, look for your comment. Um, but yeah, tell tell cool. tell all about it. For sure. So yeah, I mean, I just started this thing called Elevate Every Day. It's actually, I guess, it's kind of like an extension of a bunch of different things that I'm doing. They're all just like named <laughs> these different names. But um, unfortunately, when my mom passed away, I started a project called Don't Block Your Blessings. Um, and it's sort of similar. It's, you know, I was asking different people to share what I call now like cheat code sappiness, just sort of how they like navigate the ups and downs of life, how they, how they stay away from blocking their blessings, how they bring in blessings, you know, and I guess elevate every day is pretty similar to that in terms of like, you know, people pick up on the way different advice they've received, uh, maybe spiritual teachings and just all these different sorts of things that can help other people, you know, navigate the ups and downs of life and like when they're in these like more difficult spaces. And yeah, I mean, doing it, it's like, first of all, you know, like when I heard you um, speak at Dylan's event, that was like my first um, time, like seeing you, meeting you. And I was just like, Hey, I want you to share similar to at least what you shared there. Hopefully you can jump into that. But yeah, I just think like your whole outlook of, you know, taking something that, you know, might have been super painful or was very super painful um, and turning that into something elevating and purposeful for yourself and other people. So that's like, for sure, you know, I'm hoping you jump into. And then, yeah, I mean, it's still developing it. So I'm just inviting different people that I think can be like inspirational, helpful to others. And, um, and then I also have kind of a series of questions if we ever get to that. And then that way, like you can see how different people answer different questions. And yeah. Yeah, amazing. So it's, this is just a daily dose of inspiration. Um, that's part of your cheat codes to happiness, part of um, don't don't block your blessings and probably also related to the light of the infinite festival, which is coming up on February 22nd. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be presenting. I will um, be. Yeah, I'm super excited, dude. So yeah, I mean, I feel like it all kind of goes hand in hand, you know, light of the infinite is definitely more like bringing in Kabbalistic wisdom, ancient Jewish mysticism, but also speaking to a wide range of people, not necessarily like you don't have to be Jewish or specifically interested in Judaism, though it probably helps. But like the back of the book, you know, Obey Giant, like one of my favorite artists, Shepard Fairey, like wrote the back and Deepak Chopra obviously um, likes it, reached out to do something about it. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think it all kind of revolves around just you know, transforming like hardships into like and darkness into light and inspo. And I feel like as I meet more and more people and as you talk to people more, like you realize, oh, wow. Like, even if you view this person's like always happier, like whatever it is, like as you talk more, you're like, oh, wow. They're like really unfortunately struggling in this way or that way. And it's, it's just so prevalent. So I think, you know, that's kind of like my focus is just to get these different ways 
to approach life and navigate when you're feeling down to like get back to a good space that's uh, manageable or beyond that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. What, what you just said about um, talk, you know, meeting people who seem like they're always happy or they're always positive or upbeat. And then you sort of pull back the curtain a little bit and you notice that they have a lot of struggles um, that either they've been through in the past or that they're going through currently um, reminds me of a conversation I had with my brother one time uh, many years ago. I was at a very, very dark point in my life. I was not doing well. I was physically uh, extremely ill. Um, I was battling very severe depression. And um, my brother once said to me, you know, aren't, aren't you scared? Like you're, you're so positive all the time and, and you're so upbeat all the time and you never play the victim. But like, how are you so positive when you're going through all of this stuff? I feel like if I was going through all of this stuff, I would just, you know, crumble. And I told him, look, on the one hand, there are plenty of times when I have crumbled and there are plenty of times when I have succumbed to feeling like a victim and feeling like woe is me and things like that. But on the other hand, I really don't have any choice but to be positive and but to see the silver lining and but to try my best every day to get up and find gratitude for the little things. And this is something that I said when I was going through the absolute worst period of my life, hands wow. down. And the, the reason that I said I don't have a choice is that we, we only ever have two choices in life. We are either moving toward light and moving toward life or we are moving toward death and we're moving toward darkness. There are only two energies in this world. And this sort of connects to the Kabbalistic wisdom that you were mentioning earlier. Um, we, we only have the energy of life or the energy of death. And there are very, very few decisions that we can make that are actually neutral, right? Like going to the DMV or washing the dishes. Okay. Those are, those are neutral decisions. Those are just, you know, part of the everyday you know, monotony of life. But I'm talking about how we see ourselves, how we speak to ourselves, who we connect with, um, how we treat our bodies, who we spend our time with, so forth and so on, our spiritual connection, our intellectual and emotional and financial growth, all of these things were only ever heading in one of two directions. So what I meant when I said I don't have a choice is that I had experienced the energy of death. I had experienced the energy of darkness firsthand. I, I, I had held it in my hands. So if I am going to live in that energy, then I should have just let what I went through kill me then. Because if you're going to overcome something or be in the process of overcoming something, but still carry the energy of darkness and death, then it's the same thing as basically giving up and having that experience kill you. If you're going to overcome something, then you have to adopt the energy of light and life and gratitude and growth, no matter how, how hard it is, because otherwise there's no point. So, you know, that, 
that conversation with my brother was was sort of a you know a, a turning point for me in which I realized that as as long as I'm making the choice not to stay in that energy of darkness and death and feeling like the world is out to get me, then I'm moving toward light. And this doesn't mean that you need to be happy or positive all the time because I'm not happy and positive all the time. I get sad and I get down just like anybody else. But even in those moments, you know, I, I try to use those moments productively. I try to let myself feel things and then let them pass. Right. Yeah. I want everything that I feel to have some sort of purpose and to be pushing me in the right direction. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like it sounds, you know, similar to kind of like the realization that I had for my own, you know, struggle. And, you know, I've like also, excuse me, let me get a, some water for some reason. I feel like no problem. I feel like I also had dealt with, um, you know, depression and feeling down. And there was also like a similar realization that I was kind of like, I have like everything in my life, you know, seemingly like for, for anybody else outside looking in, it's like, you know, I wasn't like sitting here homeless, like without any money. And I, you know, I wasn't in dire straits in any way or physically, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like there weren't any like actual issues that would like be justifiable to be feeling like as down as I was, you know, and feeling this sort of dark, this dark energy. And I think when, what, like similarly, I realized I'm like, if everything else, you know, to an outside person is like, for me is going well. And like, I am blessed with, you know, all these different things that we all are then. And I can, and even within that, I can bring myself to this like dark space to that extent, you know, then the opposite, you know, has to be true. And like you said, it's like, we're either going in this direction or this. And so much of it is either finding this equilibrium or just having this perspective shift, even within, like you're saying, even when you're going through that, you were still able to sort of like focus, have gratitude to whatever extent, even if it was a little, but also just try to be in that positive situation. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm reading MetaHuman now, Deepak Chopra, and he's like talking about different people in different situations. But like one, as an example, is like the Buddhist that will like push through these like physical sort of limitations that we see. And they're like sitting there like that, like not eating and just in one position for so long. And it's really to push yourself past these perceptions of these boundaries that we have or these limits that we have on each other. Like, you know, like you might be sitting like that and you're just like, this is so painful. My back is killing. And like, you're just thinking of all these things that, you know, and then you can maybe focus on that and then you're making it feel even worse because you're like entertaining more of it than it needs to be. You know what I'm saying? Um, but the idea is to like push past that and then you can, like you had described, almost see it from the outside and you're like, okay, so this is sort of uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing that. Let me acknowledge that, you know, but let me also take away some of the power from that or the fear, all the different things that are coming up so it can exist but not take over you know and i feel like that's something that we all need to learn is to have you know in hebrew it's hishtavut which is like shaveh like everything's sort of equal because if you can have that perspective and look at it in more of like uh okay i don't know what this what's happening now i don't know if this is going to be bad or good or it seems pretty bad right now but 
maybe it's going to be good when I look at it later because it's going to bring this other growth or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. So. There are many, many, many ways to express the same idea. Um, but essentially the idea that, that you're describing from understanding you correctly, which I completely agree with, is that the way that you reduce the power of um, the traumatic event that you've been through or your depression or whatever is you allow it to exist, but you don't let it take over your life. So one way to express that idea is that we should accept everything in our lives as if we had chosen it, right? If I chose this for myself, whatever horrible thing that I'm going through, would I be as upset about it, right? And the answer, of course, is no. So if you can accept it as if you had chosen it, then it may still be difficult, but mm. it will reduce some of the power. Another way to say this is that trauma is not what has happened to you, the external event. Trauma is what has happened inside of you, which is the internalization of the external event, right? So if you look at the, you can, you can take two people, put them through the exact same trauma, whether it's an illness, loss of a loved one, sexual assault, whatever, God forbid, right? And one of those people comes out pretty much unscathed and they end up turning that tragedy in, into a triumph. The other person ends up being homeless under a freeway bridge, right? So that's how we know that, that the traumatic event is not what happened to you. It's what happened mm, inside yeah. of you result. But the way that we reduce the power of that is we try to treat, treat it all more or less equally. When the bad things happen, we treat them as if they are for the good. And when the good things happen, we accept that they are for the good, but we don't attach to them and we don't wrap our entire identity around them. Now, this doesn't mean that you just live in like a, a Buddhist monk, like robotic state where you're like, everything is equal, there, there are no ups and downs, there's, you know, everything is perfectly fine all the time, it's all copacetic, and like, I'm emotionless, right? But it does bring me to a, a different point, which is sort of something that I try to implement in my life. Something I try to implement in my life is, rather than being happy and sad, I just want to be at peace. Yeah, I don't, I don't want, I, I just, I want to chase fulfillment and peace of mind rather than chasing certain emotional states, right? So balance doesn't mean that you don't experience happiness or sadness. It means that you're not on a roller coaster of emotions. And it means that more importantly, you're not allowing the external events in your life to dictate your emotional state all the time. This is easier said than done, of course, right? Yeah you have to look at the external situations that happen in your life. And when you notice that they are dictating your emotional state, you try to reduce the emotional charge that they have by bringing yourself back to a state of calm and peace of mind and not attaching so much meaning, not assigning so much meaning to that external event. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're also, kind of talking about like the resistance like once you kind of like let go and view it as like okay this is as if it was something that i chose or whatever but when you're resisting it i mean i think 
a good example is like panic attacks, you know, like so much of panic attacks is just the fear and resistance right. of the possibility of a panic attack, you know? Right. The more and, you hit, the more it gets worse. Yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, I don't know if you read Letting Go, probably um, Dr. David Hawkins, but he like talks about that. No, I haven't. Just, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. A bunch of my friends them. Um, are reading it all the time. And it's like, one of my friends is like literally reading it all the time. One of my other friends, like the day I got it, she's like, can I borrow this? Just real quick. And it was like months later, she's still like writing it. I'm like, I'm just going to buy another, like, uh -huh. I you, think we're good. Like, you, you like this. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he's, he's, you know, talks about what you already know in terms of just, you know, taking away that resistance and the fear of it and just kind of like walking yourself through it. Like, okay, I'm having a panic attack right now. Like, and it's been okay. Like, this is the worst that would happen, you know, because I, I had states of that after my divorce, like divorce is like one of the hardest things you can go through. And it's just all these things are coming at you and depending, you know. Um, and yeah, I think I only had a panic attack, whatever that means once. And then the rest of it was like, you know, it was like the fear of possibility of that was just so strong, yeah. you know, especially if you're like in a social, you're like, what if it happens now? <laughs> like you're, you're, you know, your mind can do all this crazy stuff. And yeah. So that was like super helpful, like kind of taking away that resistance and being like, okay, the worst that will happen is like this, you know, and start to like chip away at some of that fear. And I have the same thing with public speaking. I mean, I spent my whole life till like the last year avoiding it and making my fear, like giving it so much power. Cause every time I would just say no to everything and then, created this beast of fear from that you know and now i'm like okay i'm just gonna start saying yes and start chipping away at this fear you know and whatever and it's like anything else like it's like practice and you start to get better but yeah it's it's really it's really crazy but a lot of growth comes from it and yeah i always felt you know it's like once you could do that then there's you know there's all these lessons from it but you could also you just connect with people on a deeper level because they're like, oh my God, I'm going through that same thing. Or like, I love that teaching. And then you connect with them after and whatever. And other times when you're not doing that, you're just like keeping it all to yourself and like not connecting with people that you could possibly be connecting with on like a bigger scale, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, like you said, don't block your blessings. When you're blocking your blessings, you're committing two sins. The first one is that you are, um, you're impeding your own growth and anything that you stand to gain from overcoming your fear of public speaking or whatever it may be. The other thing, the other sin is that you rob other people the opportunity um, to support you, the opportunity to learn from you, the opportunity to connect with you because you're standing in your own light. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. But, um, go ahead. No, 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 it just reminds me, I, one of my friends, like, he would, like, I am, like, awkward with compliments if somebody says, like, oh, blah, blah, you know, like, you're so this or like your music or whatever it would be. And I always just get like super shy and I don't take it. And he like made a joke that it's like every time someone compliments me, I like die a little more like just nah. that extreme. But then he also, I don't know if it was him or somebody else, similar to what you're saying was like, you're making it about you. Like that person's trying to give you a compliment and you're like robbing them of feeling like good about giving you that compliment. So right. like what you're saying is like, you know, you to yourself, but like, that's another way to look at it. Like, you know, like you're trying to not have it or maybe be humble or like you feel slightly whatever, but then maybe you're making them feel uncomfortable or they're not 
having that like, you know, satisfaction of being able to like share what they think about something related to you and want you to accept that so that they can feel good about it. So you're yeah. like taking that away from them. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of clients who, you know, struggle with this. I, I'll, I'll tell them all the time, look, you don't only, you don't only have to talk to me during our sessions. If, if you need something in between our sessions, you can pick up the phone and call me, you can text me and they'll be like, Oh, but I don't want to bother you. And no, like, I'll just do it by myself and whatever. And what I say to them is, if, you know, if a friend called you and said, Hey, I need something, I need some support, would you tell them you should do it on your own? No, you would say, of course, let me come bring you a cup of coffee. Let me come talk with you. How can I support you? Right? So you want to do that for other people. But when other people want to do that for you, you are robbing them of that opportunity because you think that somehow either you're not worth the time or you don't have anything that's valuable to, to say or to contribute or whatever it may be. But the bottom line is that it's about you, you, you. It's mm. your fears, it's your insecurities, it's your anxieties, right? And so this beautiful thing, which could have been leaning on someone else to receive love and support and blessings from them has now become a selfish thing where <laughs> your own fears and insecurities are A, hindering your growth and progress from you know, your ability to receive from somebody else and B, taking a beautiful opportunity for fulfillment away from somebody else. So, yeah, you know, it, it requires a huge, huge amount of humility to be able to ask somebody for help um, and just be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm having a hard day. Like, I just needed somebody to talk to you. You have to your ego has to die in order to do that. And I know we're like totally jumping around and I, I hope I didn't take you off the schedule of what you wanted to talk about. No, no this is perfect. I like uh, yeah, I prefer when it flows. So this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, asking other people for help uh, in any regard, whether you're hiring a personal trainer, if you're hiring a personal trainer, you have to admit that you are not in as good of shape as you would like. If you're hiring a therapist or a coach, you have to admit that your life is not going the way that you would like. If you're hiring a financial advisor, you have to admit that your finances are out of order. And our ego, we, we would sooner cheat on someone, we would sooner commit murder than admit the things that we are bad at that we, that we need help with because of how strong the ego drive to protect us is, right? But this is the thing that separates the incredibly successful, incredibly fulfilled people from the everyman. If you right. look at every, whatever it is, super successful rabbi, multimillionaire, scholar in their field, the person who's won all the awards, whatever, all of those people, they all have like a team of like four to six people who are smarter than them that they lean on, right? Every single super successful person in every field, they all have a therapist, they all have a coach, they all have a fitness person, they all have a spiritual advisor, they have someone helping with their, their, their nutrition, they have their spouse who is part of their right. support team. So it requires a huge amount of humility to be able to ask for help and admit that you can't actually do everything on your own whether that's spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically, it doesn't matter. But once you actually admit that, 
And once you make peace with that admission and you see that as a beautiful thing, then you can skyrocket because now all of, there are all of these incredible people in your corner who want to support your success. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, yeah, it's really like nullifying the ego is like when all the blessings sort of come through. You yeah. know, and then, like you said, in terms of peace also, it's like peace is like kind of that vessel, like, yeah, the equilibrium, it's not about like not feeling like you said, you know, but just about having like a positive perspective when you are going through these things and, you know, having that peace and peace is kind of like the vessel for more blessings to come in when you're in that sort of a space, in a space of peace, in a space of gratitude to bring in more good things. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, and I think that um, somebody just posted a long comment. Let me see what this says. Oh, really? I'm not even. Oh, no. It's, oh, it, my comments like stop. <laughs> oh, it's okay. whatever. It's all good. Um, it just yeah. caught my for a second. But yeah, look, we, we spend more energy trying to be in anxiety than we do trying to be in peace. Because all you have to do in order to be in peace is not fight your reality and not resist the things that come into your life and happen to you, right? What you have to do in order to be in anxiety and order, in order to be questioning things and in order to, be, to not feel so good is you have to expend the effort of fighting. Why did this thing happen? Why did that thing happen? Now I have to run to control it. Now I have to manipulate it. Now I have to fix it. That is a lot more effort than simply relinquishing control. Relinquishing control is scarier because when we relinquish control, we, we lose the feeling that our own two hands are controlling this thing that we're worried about. But that control is an illusion anyway, right? And this is one of the biggest reasons that I, this is one of the biggest lessons that I had to learn last year in 2022. I am a control freak. I'm a type A alpha personality. I like things to be a certain way. When things don't function in my business a certain way, it upsets me. When my routine gets thrown off, it upsets me. When people are late, it's a, it upsets me, you know, and so forth and so on. And whenever these things happen, I overanalyze them. And then I try to do whatever I can to protect against that happening the next time. But last year in, in 2020, in October, I had a huge wake up call because everything that I was planning for and trying to control and trying to manipulate basically got taken away from me in the span of like one week and a whole bunch of stuff just fell to shit, like all of a sudden. And I really believe that this was God's way of telling me, look at the amount of energy and effort you are expending. Look at, the, look at how exhausted you are from trying to control every last thing in your business, your love life, your finances, whatever. But all of the control that you are asserting over these situations is illusory. So this doesn't mean that you sit in your basement and just smoke weed all day long and you don't do anything and just like hope for the blessings to come. But, <laughs> you know, one lesson that I had to learn was the, was that the ratio of effort to reward is a diminishing curve. It's not a one-to-one -one ratio where in every situation, the more you do, the more you get out of it, right? Yeah. That's true for like exercising. If you exercise for two hours, you burn more calories than if you exercise for one hour, right? But if you exercise for eight hours, 
now now you're hitting the point of diminishing returns, right? It's not necessary. Exercising for eight hours is not necessarily better than exercising for two hours. So there are certain things where the more effort you put in, the more you get out of it. But there are other things where when you try to control and manipulate it so much, there's actually a negative effect on your life. And yeah, something I experienced personally, and it was very painful. Yeah, no, I hear I mean, I think that if you're doing something, if you're not working for somebody else, like if you're, let's say a creative or an entrepreneur, you see that most clearly, like, you know, let's say you're an entrepreneur, and you're just trying to do business calls, like all the time or whatever, like, you, I mean, you could see you could do, I don't know, a thousand calls, and nothing comes through, you know, just as an example, or one or two things, or you could do the next day, you could just put your energy into this. And all of a sudden, like someone calls you and they're like, well, I just saw this thing, like, I want to hire you to do, you know what I mean? It's like, so in that you have a very clear picture that, okay, like I could put all of this in, but it's not going to guarantee anything. So like, you need to kind of like reshift some of that focus instead of trying to control this thing, because you could see that it's not like, you know what I mean? Like you said, the diminishing returns or just spending so much energy in one direction, you know, and kind of reshifting that towards, okay, let me balance this out, be creative here, do that. I mean, for me, it was like, I wanted to shift towards learning a lot more Torah and connecting and Kabbalah and all these things so that I could be able to teach that to others. And, you know, I had to almost like switch this thing. I was like, okay, like I can start to like work a little bit less and put my focus on here and start to shift it which required a lot of like, emunah, like a lot of faith that this is going to work because it's hard to know like when, like how much can I learn and not work and how much am I, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, there's, everybody has like real expenses plus, you know, like I have two kids. So it's like for them and the child support, you know? So it was, yeah, it was, it's interesting. Cause I, I got into the situation where I could see how the universe or like God Hashem, like is like providing as I'm like starting to, shift these things and really like tap into like the, the faith that this is going to work and like that I'm going to connect in this way and I'm going to be provided for. Right. So like, yeah, there's been different ways that I got to like witness that and, you know, so for that's amazing. That, man. That's been, yeah, a great blessing. That, and now like it turned into these books and now it's like, it's cool to see how other, other people can like take that time that I put in and like it for it to help them, you know? What you just said reminds me of something called the Matthew Principle, um, which is something I, I talk about all the time. Um, the Matthew Principle states that uh, to those who have everything, more will be given. And from those who have nothing, everything will be taken. And we can apply this in any area, but specifically when it comes to faith and your spiritual connection, to those who have everything meaning to those who have the most faith and the strongest connection to God, more will be given, meaning you will receive even more blessings and money will come your way and opportunities will come your way and everything. From those who have nothing, people who have no spiritual connection, no faith, they just stay in the same you know, routine and stay in the same pattern because they're scared and they don't believe and all this stuff everything will be taken, which means that even the little bit that they do have will be taken from them, right? And so this is how the rich get richer and the poor get poorer financially and 
spiritually and in any other area of life, right? Yeah. Remember when I was starting my coaching practice, um, I was working a full-time job for the city of Los Angeles. Uh, I was working for the government. I had, I was making like $36,000 a year, um, typical government job. I had good health insurance. It was a nine to five. Um, I was not happy. It was not what I wanted to be doing, but it was the first job that I accepted after graduate school because I knew that I needed a job to pay me some income while I built my coaching practice and got all of my certifications and stuff like that. And then there came a point where I was making more money from my part-time coaching practice and spending more time wow. on part-time coaching practice than I was on my full-time job right? right so there came a point where my full-time job like i was there 40 hours a week but mentally most of those 40 hours were taken up by this other thing that i loved yeah. and then i had this, this moment when it you know when i looked at the numbers i looked at my time my effort my finances when i was like okay it doesn't make sense to be at this job anymore but leaving that job means no salary, no income, no structure, no health insurance. My parents and my family saying, what the hell are you doing? My friends saying, what the hell am, are you doing? Even myself saying, what the hell am I doing? Is this really, yeah. you know, I really want to take this leap of faith. Plus, it's not like I was going to sell t-shirts, man. I was going <laughs> into a field where I'm like this random tiny fish in a huge pond asking people to tell me their deepest, darkest secrets. And the only choice that I had was faith or fear. What I'm doing now by the grace of God is what I have wanted to do my whole life. This is my life's purpose. And I thank God right. for it every day. But it took me 26 years. And most of those years, I was afraid to do this. Right. So I had been choosing fear for year after year after year, fear of not having stability, fear of people's judgment, fear of people thinking that I don't have anything valuable to add, fear of not having my parents support, fear of not having enough money and not making it and all the kind, you know, all this kind of stuff. And eventually what I realized was, you know, every choice is a binary between faith and fear, but those are two sides of the same exact coin because Faith is a belief that good things will happen in the absence of any concrete evidence. And fear is a belief that bad things will happen in the absence of any concrete evidence. So you are just as crazy to believe that bad things will happen when you can't predict the future as you are to believe that good things will happen when you can't predict the future. Either way, you're making a crazy prediction. You see what I'm yeah. saying? So when this dawned on me, then it was like, okay, the only choice really is for me to go off on my own now and, and start this and do this thing I've always wanted to do and to do it with a lot of emuna, and to do it with a lot of belief in myself and, you know, really to just have a pure intention. Like if I'm doing this with a pure intention of helping people and fulfilling my life's mission and, you know, trying to grow and become better and master my craft, then I, I believe that it will work out. Um, yeah. You know, one time I, early on in my career, like I, I asked my therapist, 
do you think that if I just keep doing this, like, and I keep showing up and I keep betting, getting better at what I do, eventually I'll make it, right? Like eventually I'll make enough money or I'll make a name for myself or whatever. And my therapist was like, I don't know, but that's what I choose to believe every day. So just like faith is a choice, this was, this was the same choice, right? It's really a belief system. It's, it's a dedication. It's a devotion that you have to make to yourself. That if you do this thing you're afraid of, you don't know how it's going to go, but you choose to believe that if you show up every day, you will get through it and it will get better. Yeah. And, yeah. No, thanks for sharing that. I, I see in the comments, Eliyahu, who presented, you're doing the Light of Infinite Festival February 22nd. He presented um, at one of the first ones and he commented, Parsha talk. I think he wants me to jump in and bring some spiritual um, teaching from like this week's Torah portion. Uh, you Let's know, do it. The reading. So this week, similar to what you're saying, because it's the fear versus faith. And the Jews are like, the Egyptians are running after the Jews, you know, and they're surrounded on all sides. There's like the sea and the Egyptians and the hills, and the forest and whatever. So they're, they're all very fearful. And because of that, they don't know what to do. And they're like, and basically Nachshon Ben Aminadav is the character who he goes into the sea, you know, like they're all too scared to like, okay, let me go into this, you know, the, whatever this really scary thing and have faith that the sea is somehow going to split. But Nachshon Ben Aminadav is the one that does that. And he goes into the water up till it's like, you know, game over. Like, and that's kind of, you know, many times when we need to push through something or we're trying to, get to some goal it's like we have to keep it's not going to come easy it's not that you just like make that one decision you make that one step and then it's like oh okay i just turned this direction now everything opened up like that's just not really how it works and in this situation it's the same thing it's like he keeps pushing and to the point that it's like all the way up and then the sea opens up you know and they have the song of the sea they sing in unison with moshe like the song of redemption and the writing within that like Kabbalistically, it's like that could have been the moment that the full redemption comes, you know, like this, when all the religions have this redemptive state, this, the Messiah is coming and everybody joins together. There's no this religion, that religion. It's just the full light is all the concealment is revealed, right? And there's actually this story of the Baal Shem Tov, who is a Hasidic master that all of the Hasidic sects came under that, like they all grew from that. So there's like, you know, if you're Jewish, you might have heard of Chabad that is like this sect that they have like a place that you can eat dinner Friday night, like any place in the world, literally like the smallest country would have one or many. Um, anyway, so one of his students, he had was like, I'm, I'm wants to get married. And he's like, I'm looking for somebody so unique and just describing this person. And at the same time, this other woman is saying something similar. So in his mind, he's like, I should set these two people up. One of them being Rabbi Nachman's um, grand, great grandfather. And so he sets him up with this woman, right? And so they get married. And the woman comes to the Baal Shem Tov and she says, I don't, I don't know what to like, I don't know if I, you know, like, I don't know if I should be so comfortable telling you this, but he's not coming home, like at night, he's not laying with me, he's not sleeping there at all. Like, I don't know what to do. This is like, very strange and very hurtful. 
And so the rabbi, so the, you know, the Baal Shem Tov, the Hasidic master asks the, this other person who's the great grandfather of Rabbi Nachman to come in and he talks to him and, and he says to the Baal Shem Tov, he says, you and I both know that she's going to die at childbirth. So that's why I've been avoiding because I love her so much. I don't want that. So the Baal Shem Tov says, just be honest with her. Just tell her, tell her this and tell her how you're feeling. So he goes to her and he says this and she goes, okay, but is this any better than death? Like, I don't have you at all. I'd rather have this time with you than what's happening right now, right? So then they have the baby. They, sorry, they're like together and all that stuff. And then fast forward, they have the baby and she's praying to God, like, you know, just give me four more weeks. Like, I want to have time with this baby. Like, I don't want to die, you know, because she knows she, the, the prophecy, the divine connection and, she, she trusts fully that, okay, this is what he says, and this is what's going to happen. So she's praying for that. And then after, he goes to the Baal Shem Tov, and he tells him this story. And the son who they had is called Simcha, which means joy, and is the grandfather of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, who's like completely changed my life. He's been the Likutei Malan. It's like the most mind-blowing teachings you'll ever read. And the Baal Shem Tov was said she prayed for four more weeks didn't she know the gates were completely open she could have lived forever and really that's like such a powerful lesson because so many times we have this little goal and and the kabbalistic view of even the splitting of the the sea the jews went through it and they're singing this song and they were singing the redemption will come but in a similar way they're often in these moments that it's not about only four more weeks or that this is going to happen. You have to have that full faith that it, it's going to happen now, like, or I'm going to live forever or whatever I'm wanting, like ask fully for it. You know what I mean? Right. And don't cheat yourself out of what you can have. And I think it's just, it's such a powerful lesson and just reminds me of kind of what you're, what you're sharing. Right. Um, there is a, a Kabbalah teacher, um, Rabbi Michael Berg, who wrote in his book that, or one of his books, that uh, the issue is not that human beings want to receive. The issue is that we want to receive so little, mm. right? Meaning that if we only knew how much we could receive, if we only knew that the gates of heaven were open eternally, not just for four more weeks, then that's actually what we would, what we would uh, pray for. And this sort of tracks... Um, from a psychological perspective, have you ever heard the phrase, um, you're not afraid of failure, you're afraid of success? Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard people say that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, that's actually not true. Because if I, if I ask you, um, Erev, would you like to be an internationally renowned writer and speaker and multimillionaire? Uh, you would likely say yes. And you wouldn't be afraid of that. You wouldn't be afraid of the idea of being successful. We are afraid of failure, but more than that, what we're afraid of is loss. So it's not mm. that we fear being successful. It's that we fear being successful and then losing it. Yeah, maintaining like, it. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the thing with, with the Kabbalistic perspective is that if you receive a blessing or you receive some miracle and then you lose it, it doesn't matter 
because you're connected to the infinite source of blessings. And as long as you are on this earth and for, for very long after you're on this earth, it's just an endless, uh, you know, jar. It's like an, an endless um, pitcher of blessings that come into your life. So you never have to fear loss. Right. Right. But, you know, we mortals, like the, the way that we think every day is not on such, you know, grand terms in terms of like our ability and our spiritual connection and stuff like that. The way we think is, well, what do I do when I get all of that? Right. So it's, you know, we, we fear getting that thing, not because it's, it's a scary idea to, to lose all the weight or make the money or get in the relationship or whatever, but because we are afraid to lose it once we have it. And, and that is why we sabotage ourselves so many times in the process. And that's why people end up right here in my office seven days a week saying, there is this thing that I want so badly, but I see the ways in which I am standing in my own way. I see the ways in which I am self-sabotaging. I see the ways in which I should be choosing this direction, yet I'm choosing that direction. And, you know, when you, when you teach somebody how to keep the blessing once they've had it, or when you teach them not to be afraid of the loss of it, then it comes. As long as you're, you know, whatever, whatever you're focusing on is what will grow and what you'll receive more of. If you're focused on your fears, you're going to receive more of them. If you're focused on loss, you're going to receive more, more losses, right? So our, our mind is like, um, is like water for a plant. You pour water on the plant and the plant grows. Your attention, whatever you put your attention on is, is, is what's going to grow. So you, you put your attention toward God, toward connection, toward light, towards blessings, miracles, all the things that you've been talking about. And you remove the fear of loss, which is, again, connected to our ego. And amazing things start to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think people see it most clearly in relationships. It's like people have so much trauma and fear when it comes to that, because it's like, okay, but, you know, I, I'm going to enter into another thing that chances are it won't work out, you know, like we'll go out for however long we go out and we'll get so connected and, you know, breakups are so tough because you feel so unified, you know what I mean? And then it could be months or a year of feeling really down and, and, and depressed or just really sad from that relationship. So it's that same thing. It's like that fear of the loss of it, you know, but there's also prior to gaining what you wanted, people love that chase, you know, there's so, it gives you life you know what i mean and there is something within like not even having it yet you know like you have that goal and you're just so motivated and it's so fun and there's like a romantic element not even relationships just related to whatever whether it's a career goal or you know anything spiritual goal as well but it's it's just there's so much fulfillment in trying to reach it you know what i mean so there's like all these different sort of side psychologically to to the thing not receiving it and losing it and and trying to get it but yeah 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 absolutely this might be Uh, a good place to uh to wrap things up we could always do like a part two you know because yeah i think it'd go forever but yeah i hope hope this was a you know a good 
little taster for the upcoming festival on the 22nd. I'll be talking about some of this stuff and, you know, um, some spiritual wisdom that I've learned and some Torah wisdom that I've learned and, you know, my own life and um, sort of how I went, how I've created a lot of personal transformations in my life. I was an atheist. Now I'm a person of God. I was uh, physically incapacitated and sick. Now I'm the strongest and healthiest I've ever been. And, you know, I've, I've used these spiritual principles to create major transformations. And it's what I do with my clients now. And uh, just looking forward to sharing. Amazing. Yeah. No, I'm super looking forward. People should know that they can RSVP for free on the website, which is lightofinfinite.com or just, I think if you click on my bio, you can uh, click to the website and RSVP from there. Uh, but yeah, no, thanks so much for your time and super excited for <laughs> you at the festival. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have an amazing day and I will see you soon. Awesome. See you. Take care.